0: You are listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, the weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today, we are talking about the story of Veramat, love and statistics. And there's lots you can learn from it. Matt and Emma have built an awesome company. And being a couple of course that has a very very interesting spin to it. And in this episode you'll learn a lot about how they made that happen, what a kind of company culture they have created and how they drive a zero business that is growing really really fast while still having a family life and getting kids. And It's a really, really interesting episode because we can take so much away from it in terms of how we should conduct business, what are the priorities, and where to focus on to be successful. If you haven't done that yet, join the LinkedIn group, The Effective Statistician, and follow me on LinkedIn where I give you a lot of additional content, a lot of things to think about, a lot of things to act upon, to help boost your career as a statistician. This podcast is produced in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients.
1: Join PSI
0: today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video on demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars and much, much more. The reduced rate is just £20 for non-high-income countries and £95 for high-income countries. Visit the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to an episode of the Effective Statistician podcast, and this time I'm not alone. I'm here with Matt and Emma from Veramet, And it's quite unusual situation for me because usually I'm sitting at home and just in front of my microphone. This time I'm actually here at your office. So welcome Matt and Emma here. Thank you.
2: Thank you for coming.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's dive directly into into the content. So Matt, you founded Veromat. What's the founding story of of Veromat and why did you actually start your own business?
1: Sure. Well, I've been a programmer for a number of years. I joined the industry in about 99. And I've been learning new things, working for various different companies um, as a freelancer and and as a permanent employee as well. Um, And I wasn't one of those people who had always known what they wanted to do when they grew up. I wasn't sure, I kind of fell into this industry, but found myself as a programmer and found that I could do it and I was was quite good at it. But I kind of got to the point where I'd stopped learning and I wasn't really Mm -hmm. learning new things and you know realised that was quite important to me. In about, I don't know, 2006, something like that, I went and did an MBA. So I thought I'm quite interested in business. Um, I was quite inspired growing up by people who ran their own businesses. My dad, uh, had his own business and my uncle had his own business. My cousins kind of ran some of my uncle's businesses and stuff like that. So I thought, you know, one day I might like to do that. So I went and did this MBA and, you know, got a good solid kind of grounding in business and business-related stuff, finance. You
0: did that while
1: you were still programming? Yeah, I did it part-time. Okay. So I did a what's called an executive MBA. Mm-hmm. So that was a kind of Friday and Saturday every other week. I was going to study and then... I'd take the Friday off in between and and do some extra study. So it's quite intensive over two years. I did that thinking it would kind of give me all the answers, and I'd come out thinking, "Great, I know exactly what I want to do." I went back to programming <laughs> straight <laughs> away. Became so, okay, you know I was freelancing some more, and then you know I met Emma and we were together, and you know we were talking about you know, my career and what I should do. And she said, "Well, you know, why don't you why don't you kind of give it a go and set up your own business?" And We've been talking about doing it together, but just thought. You know, maybe, maybe that's that's the right time. And Emma kind of gave me a bit of a push um, that I needed, and just went for it. I think at the same time, I was working on the farmer side as well, and I could see that some CROs in the marketplace were not doing an especially good job. You know, the studies that I was overseeing were, were coming in, and they were relatively, you know, poor quality, or they were late, or the service was bad. And I just thought, you know, maybe we could make a go of this and do it a little bit better. So. Started veromed So your goal for veromed was more quality. Yes. Yeah. So it was. Well, it was kind of three things really. One was quality. So I'm always passionate about doing a really good job. I'm quite a conscientious person, and you know that's important to so, me. You know, it kind of makes me tick. So it was the quality angle, but also the service angle as well. You know, I worked when I was younger in restaurants and on a holiday park and things like that and you get used to the kind of service element and what i'd seen in pharma was that you know communication wasn't was sometimes not great um from providers and sometimes things were late and you wouldn't even know that they were going to be late you were expecting you know a set of deliverables to turn up and they just wouldn't wouldn't turn up and i just thought actually we can have a go at having a kind of high quality company a high service company but also being a good place to work as well okay so good place to work
0: has high, high quality and good service <coughs> so what does
1: service beyond communication mean to you matt well it's it's the whole thing really so i think service you can boil down to you know good communication and being attentive responsive to emails but it's not just that i think for us service is is kind of two things it's understanding what the client's problems are perhaps kind of making those problems your own mm-hmm. or treating them as, a, as your own problems so that you, know, you kind of go the extra mile to help address your clients' needs. But it's not just that. I think it's, it's also about taking care as well. So one of the things that we do, we do a lot of project management work behind the scenes that nobody really sees. This is something that we've built, uh, I suppose, part of our IP. But what we use that for is to, as accurately as possible, forecast all of the work that we're going to need to do on all of the projects across the entire business. So we've got a very clear picture month on month of exactly what resource we're going to need or not need or what capacity we've got or not got. Um, And what that allows us to do is to communicate with our customers. Firstly, to say when they've got a new project, not just yes, it's yes, but we can do it, not do it this month, we could do it next month. Or actually, no, I'm really sorry, but we can't take this project on. Because it would exceed our capacity and we won't be able to deliver it to the levels of quality or timelines that you actually want. And, you know, clients are responding really well to that because they know that if they give us a project, then it's in safe hands and it's going Mm. to get delivered. Um, And that's something that we've seen elsewhere within the um, industry where there's a bit of a disconnect, if you like, between the yeah, I suppose the sales function and the operation function. The so sales, sales function can all.
0: oh, of course we can yeah. do
1: that. And to any timeline that you propose. <laughs> well, I have to say, we, we have just hired a salesperson. <laughs> it might all change. Yeah, you know. but,
0: but, I, but I think that's a really, really good point because mm. I also rather want to work with the CRO that tells me there's a problem mm-hmm. or there's, you know, we can't deliver on that because we wouldn't have never could recruit good people in that amount of time to deliver on these mm. kind of things because then I can manage from myself kind of and potentially you know find a different solution I can uh, internally say oh we need to modify things because we cannot get to that timeline mm. but if I learn about things kind of too late then I have no room to maneuver anymore and then mm. I rather have someone that yeah tells me okay there's a problem also when you're through the process something comes up and there's something went south for whatever reason and you know we have complex projects so there's always something that doesn't plan out how it should be or mm. how we thought it would be and having then this openness to
1: discuss that and bring it up i think is really really important i think it has to be a two-way relationship I think you're yep. right. It's um like any relationship in life. <laughs> 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 but you know, it's it's the fact that there're always going to be challenges. There's going to be a lot of successes as well, but there's always going to be challenges and it's it's working together to figure out how you work your way through those. If you can establish that level of honesty and openness and communication, you know, within a personal relationship or within a professional relationship it's going to be more successful it's just you know inevitable
0: speaking about relationship (laughs) you you joined Matt a couple of months after he started this business and Matt mentioned you kind of pushed him a little bit or Mm -hmm. decreased the hurdles for him to be able to jump into it what did you do to kind of make him feel comfortable to move into that Um, area
2: Well, I guess I could see he wasn't so happy just continuing contracting. He'd become quite bored with the work. And as he said himself, he wasn't learning new things. And so we talked about it a lot. And I guess I encouraged him to say, you know, what's the worst that could happen? The business didn't um, become successful. You could carry on doing the the job that you have as a contract programmer. So that's, I suppose, the, the encouragement I gave him and even I think they pointed to uh, someone else that we knew that he'd recently started a business and said look you know if they can do it you can you can do it <laughs> so I think that, that was, was that was part of the motivation.
0: <laughs> okay and you were working at Lily at the time yeah uh, and so, so you always had a kind of second income mm-hmm. you still had no kids at that time so it was kind of more a uh, Less risk-averse setting, yeah.
2: so to say. So I had never really ever thought about running a business. It wasn't something I had it ever crossed my radar as something that I w- would want to do. I did my master's in statistics. I um, then did a PhD. And then um, I was working at Lilly as a project statistician. And after about six months uh, with Matt working... And starting Verimed, there was Matt plus a few programmers delivering one project that was predominantly programming. And in order to to continue on that project, they needed a statistician. And Matt was obviously married to a
1: statistician. (laughs) It was all part of the game
2: plan. And the gentle persuasion and encouragement came from Matt to leave my role at Lilly and to join him and join forces and um, see if we could continue to grow Verimed together. So, yeah. So in the September of 2012, I left Lilly and then um, joined Verimed full time. I had zero business experience. I'd not done an MBA. I'd never line managed anybody. What could go wrong? <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, so, how does that feel, actually? Kind of leaving your secure job at Lilly. Well, it was at least secure at the time. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Well, I think this is that's the point. In that particular time, there were many pharma companies that were making staff redundant. GSK had gone through a similar phase. Other companies and. Um, I just thought, well, actually, there are a lot of people contracting. So if I, again, if the business doesn't work out, I felt confident that I could find another role, if not back with Lily, with somewhere else. So we just thought, let's let's see what happens and let's take the risk and uh, go for it. But as you said, at that time, I didn't have children. It didn't feel too big a risk. It felt exciting, I guess, to see what else, I could be doing outside of a statistical role.
0: So, if you speak about this outside of statistical role, what were the kind of first challenges that you (laughs) took on, other than you know doing stats work? Yeah.
2: So, when you start a business, you wear many, many, many different hats. Every hat. Every hat. The hats were shared between myself and Matt. So, I guess my role initially, I tried to be about four days a week project work to pay the bills and then one day I was doing anything from recruitment through marketing through writing policies for our new business and anything emptying the bins anything that needed to be done I was trying to invoicing trying to do that in my one one day a week
0: so four days working in the company one day working on On the the business pretty much yeah. yeah
2: So, some pretty long days, lots of evenings. um, And I think that's what you have to do at the beginning Um, in any new business.
0: Five days, it was probably
1: more than five days, wasn't it? (laughs) I'd say
2: so. A lot of evenings, a lot of weekends. But that's.
1: I think that's it. You know, when you start a business, you have to be willing to put in the work. I was chatting to another business owner actually when. he was actually just before starting Veramed. And he said to me, you know, if you do it, you have to be willing to put the hours in. You have to be, you have to like work. You have to be willing to work because, you know, over the years we have put in, you know, lots and lots of additional time, evenings, weekends, you know, routinely, because you want the business to be a success.
0: How does the business model for Verimint look like, and how how has it evolved over time? Because I think you can't kind of run your business and think, well, in eight years or nine years will be there and then five years will mm-hmm. be there and then mm-hmm. three years will be there you probably had a yeah. very very different evolution of your business so how did that look like
1: yeah i think so i mean um when we started we didn't start with a big investment we didn't necessarily start with you know a big new idea um, that's how some companies are started so our strategy was really quite an evolutionary one Uh, We started off being all things to all people. As Emma said, any work is good work. (laughs) Uh, We we kind of realized over the years that, you know, we are, we do have certain things that we do really, really well. And we kind of focus the business towards those. So in terms of our business model, I'd say now we're predominantly a functional service provider, typically working with large pharmaceutical companies.
0: What does it mean, functional service provider?
1: Okay, so this is... Well, it's it's outsourcing. So it's outsourcing from pharmaceutical companies to a CRO. Functional sourcing provider means different things to different people Mm. in the marketplace. Um, In terms of the type of work that we do, one of the FSPs, the big FSPs that we work with, is uh, project-based outsourcing. So this is where a pharmaceutical company wants to outsource. They're making a commitment to a relationship with a, a, a vendor, essentially us and within that there'll be lots of projects and on that relationship we're doing lots of project based work so where we're quoting for you know fixed price pieces of work and delivering those you know over you know whether it's 3 months 6 months 6 years and you know that's quite successful another example of a functional service provider relationship is is where you supply resource resource being people's time so typically on a time and materials basis. That would be, uh, I don't, what's the best way to describe it, Emma? Kind of adding to or being an extension of uh, a kind of customers' teams? So basically it takes the burden of
0: the pharma organization or the biotech to kind of hire these people. They just go to you and then, you know. They, That's right. So all the programs that decisions work within the sponsors' processes, Mm-hmm. systems that's right. and and everything so it's just kind of you know
2: and different to a typical agency model we right from the very start would have a l- lot more emphasis on us interviewing the anyone that would be joining us and anyone that we would be putting forward to work with a client so a we wanted to really understand what kind of person the client was looking for mm. do they want someone that's um, very able to interact with and have a strong personality to interact with other study team members, or they want someone that's very, very technical for a certain aspect, or both.
0: Um, <laughs> Everybody is looking for, you know, the persons that can do
1: everything, isn't it? The unicorn. <laughs> but then we do get requests for unicorns. Sometimes.
0: <laughs> but then
2: w- when we're interviewing people is really understanding their strengths and what kind of role that individual is looking for, because not everyone wants to do the same thing. Yeah. Some people do have a more technical um, urge that they want to be doing and learning very, very technical things. Other people want to be focusing more on the project aspect of um, a stats role so there are various different roles and what we've realized um, over the years is actually how we can best match the person to the role that we have to the projects uh, that we have and that's something that we're quite passionate about so that it leads to people being happy in what they do they want to continue in what they're doing the client then is happy because they've got a team that are engaged and motivated. Um, So what we've seen over the years is quite a high staff retention rate because we feel that we're really proactive in hiring the right people for the right roles.
0: When when you talked about these three different Mm. points at the beginning, kind of service and quality and then a good place to work for. for, I think if you create the third one, you get the service and the quality kind of automatically they're they're
1: both self-fulfilling actually both kind of size the service and the quality and and the place to work so i think what we've observed is that if you're a company that delivers on its promises and you deliver work to a high quality you know we're proud of it as business owners but the, the people working on those projects our teams you know they're exceptionally proud of it as well you know we routinely get positive feedback from our customers about you know for a job well done and that, that makes people feel happy and recognize and acknowledged for what they're providing. And so you know that kind of fulfills things that way. But also, you know, if you were to go into the office at 5.30, 6 o'clock in the evening, it's a ghost town. So maintaining the good work life balance and as Emma kind of touched on, having training and development in place. So getting the right people in the right roles, but also working hard to develop people within those roles so they, they're taking on new skills, you know, actually, you know, makes it what we think, and that's what we're aiming for, a nice kind of place to work. You need kind of to have a good reason to want to yep. to leave, really. Yeah. And I think that's where kind of your resource
0: planning comes in. Mm. That makes it possible that people can <clears throat> leave at, at, a, at a decent time mm. and don't have yeah. kind of, yeah. ongoing heroism and we need to get this done and next week we need to get this done. There are always and peaks always and troughs of, yeah. Yeah. It's that, it's that come
2: along and you know, we, we've been learning as we go as well how to best do resourcing and best do project management so there, there are often crunch periods because timelines always move as well so with the best laid plans yeah. project requirements also change so yeah. we have to work out how we deal with that and and we try and be as open and transparent with the staff as well to say look this next period is going to be a busy period and we we you know we're going to need everyone to pull together there might be some longer hours in that I, sense I think that's a
1: difference we can see see it coming And we know that it's for a finite period of time. So, yeah, I think the last time was quarter one last year where we had a whole programme that was cancelled and the studies needed reporting out quickly. That was one of the triggers. And that meant that we had this bolus of work in quarter one that needed Mm -hmm. to be delivered. But we were able to communicate that to staff in December and put mechanisms in place to be able to manage it. So... You know, it wasn't enforced. It was, you know, if anyone would voluntarily like to, mm-hmm. you know, put in a bit of extra effort, we'll we'll recognize that. And we've managed our way through it. Um,
0: well, how did you manage that in the interaction with the, uh, with the client?
1: It's a good question, actually. I mean, we, at the time, we said, you know, we would do everything that was possible, deliver to the timelines, and that we would, you know, ask our staff and ask our teams whether, you know, they would be willing to you know, put in the extra effort to help get the job done. But, you know, the kind of values of the company, we wouldn't enforce that. Mm. We wouldn't be chaining people to their desks and saying you have to work till nine o'clock at night. We don't expect
2: people to stay and work evenings, to stay and work all weekend. Um, As we know, many people do, do for this industry and for other industries. But I think that was one of the driving forces when we started the company, is we didn't want to be running a company where we were expecting that of our staff because we don't want to be doing that ourselves either Mm. we choose to because we (laughs) are running a business and there are often things that we need to be doing but um we yeah we talked about it at the time that was something that was quite important to us
1: Mm. our clients responded well to it and actually our team stepped up and you know when it's for a finite period of time i think it actually in some ways creates a bit of a buzz you know it's you know come on let's let's work together let's Get through this, which we did. You know, came out the other side to did a nice you kind of balanced... celebration afterwards. We did. Yeah, we did actually. Yeah, we
2: did. We took everyone out for dinner.
1: Awesome. Yeah, no, that, that was actually when we went away for the weekend. Actually, we took the whole team away for the weekend to um, mm-hmm. to a medieval hotel. Nice.
2: Um, Friday and Saturday night. No and...
1: corporate presentations. Just fun. Although it was organised fun. But, <laughs> you know, murder mystery, treasure hunt. Shooting, things like that. So and I time. think that's so important to achieve celebrations,
0: mm-hmm. otherwise you never know what's what's you know, what's good looks like. No, and, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Okay, let's talk a little bit about the place itself that you know you want to create for people that like to work here. Mm-hmm. And then of course that's very much determined by who is working here. So how do you Go in terms of your recruitment efforts, especially as you have a really fast-growing company.
2: Well, initially, um, I suppose when we were smaller and no one had heard about Verimed, there was a lot of um, contacting people on LinkedIn and contacting people that Mm. we'd worked with previously. And then um, about, I think in about 2014, Um, we hired uh, our full-time recruiter and he had a a big difference and on the the sort of the amount of people that we could contact and um, I suppose at the very beginning we he would send us the CVs to look at and we were reviewing them with quite a stringent eye, because we have very set criteria as the kind of person we would want to hire, someone that really held the same values as, as we have, and that really wanted to uh, be passionate about joining a small company. Mm-hmm. And over time, Ken Sen, our recruiter, has adapted and worked with us to actually refine sort of how, so he knows yeah. exactly the kind of person that, that we're looking to hire, and we would always be in any interview, particularly at the very beginning.
0: So any. you both are still interviewing every person that
2: gets... Not visible.
1: Not, not now. everybody. <laughs> yeah. no, we were interviewing everybody. To start um, with, because
2: one, one extra person can make a big impact <clears throat> yeah. on a small mm. company. So it had to be the right type of person, the right fit to, to not have the, the wrong impact. Uh, but then when you get to a mm. certain point... Um, And then particularly when I went on maternity leave as well, um, it's not feasibly possible. And we then had to trust in the more senior team members that we'd hired to uh, hire then the right people as well. So we're still involved in some interviews, particularly of Mm -hmm. any key staff members of seniority Mm -hmm. or any sort of new Areas within the business that we're hiring in Um, but otherwise the our recruitment uh, I suppose methods and the team of people involved in recruitment uh, it's evolved and again we have a lot of junior people involved in recruiting Mm -hmm. because it shares the load because we're we're we but do it also gives
1: people development opportunities yeah. as well yeah. involved in things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to
2: and, do and to give a voice to them as to is this a kind of person that you would want to work with do you see this person also fitting in with the kind of company that we are mm. at the moment that's, that's like
0: in a tribe important. you want to make sure the tribe all yeah. agrees yeah. who joins yeah, us. yeah. pretty
1: much yeah. so but another thing that we've done over the last few years is a graduate scheme as well so we're pretty passionate about that some companies have started theirs and stopped them and We've kept ours going and, and actually that's been really successful for us. Um, what does it look like?
2: So it, it started probably about five or six years ago. We hired one or two graduates and then since that point we started developing a series of introductory training courses that we've written internally and that became more formalised about three or four years ago. Um, I went on maternity leave (laughs) and suddenly we were hiring six graduates (laughs) (laughs) and now we have someone in charge of our graduate training program and it is a three-month set period where we have defined trainings and projects for them to be working on to be gaining experience to and it's not just the technical side; it's all the other aspects of working in the industry. So, um, so courses such as presenting skills and
1: giving and receiving feedback. Oh, that's and, interesting.
2: And um, a
1: lot of the soft stuff.
2: A lot, yeah, a lot of the soft, soft skills. So, I'm thinking I haven't been in that one for a while.
0: So, Matt, how do you personally give feedback, or how do you want to have? feedback being handled at at, uh, VeroMet?
1: Sure. Okay. Well, the way that we we train this, the way that we are kind of ask our teams to kind of give and receive feedback is in quite a polite way. So, firstly, we ask people to ask for feedback because I think it's, it's that's the first important step. You know, ask your peers, ask your people reporting to you, ask your more senior team members for feedback. Because it's a great way to, you know, assimilate information that you might otherwise not be aware of. But also in terms of, um, you know, when giving feedback. So so say I wanted to give someone some feedback, I would actually ask for their permission first. So, you know, is it okay if I give you some feedback um, about this? Because, you know, we don't want to be in a position where we're just kind of, you know, firing firing bits of feedback left, right and centre that might not be well received. The other thing that we kind of train as part of our, our feedback training is around how people receive feedback. And by that, I mean, you know, kind of listening, actively listening, not reacting, you know, making sure people pause and allow the time to kind of absorb that feedback, you know, because feedback's one of those tricky things that some people, yep. you know, might react. And actually, if they react, then you can end up in a situation where people don't want to give feedback anymore and you end up with this, you know, this kind of breakdown in, in, in communication. So um, so we kind of tr- train people to do that and, um, you know, that allows them the time. You know, they don't have to agree with the feedback and we, we say that also. It's it's a gift yeah. that you can accept or mm-hmm. not accept. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. the way we tend to approach it. Yeah.
0: I recently uh, saw a video by someone talking about feedback in terms of uh, FBI it's about the feelings, it's about behavior and it's about the impact and and uh, so I thought that's that's a really nice acronym to yeah. remember mm-hmm. and so so yeah, I think that is very important for kind of keeping the culture yeah. within the company and uh yeah having a good good place to work for because i think if if these kind of communications break down, then you can't have a nice place to work for so let's talk a little bit more on the personal side. Mm -hmm. So, you just mentioned you you have now two kids, Mm -hmm. (laughs) a very young one, Mm -hmm. uh, a three-year-old one. So, how do you manage kind of family and work life, especially, you know, that you have been investing a lot of time into your business in the past, and now there's two little human beings that are... (laughs) Drawing a lot of attention and mm. a lot of probably sleepless nights and things like that.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at the moment I'm working part time. Um, so that I guess is one of the biggest changes from pre having children, where I was working full time. I um, am working three, sometimes four, days a week, and it it is a it is a juggle. Um, I'm still. Um, contactable when I'm out of the office, uh, but I guess for a lot of working parents, there's there's always a, a challenge of childcare when your child gets sent home yeah. ill, and you've got ten meetings in your calendar. That um, you know that, that's there's no different for for us than mm. other working parents. So well, um, it's your business
0: now. <laughs>
2: But there, you know, there are still uh, commitments and meetings and things that have to be done, um, I think, even, even if you weren't running a business. So we, we do now, as Matt was saying before, it's easier now, in a sense, because we are bigger and we have a more established uh, leadership team. So uh, particularly when I was on maternity leave, there was a lot of people stepping in and covering various different aspects of my role, um, and then the other, I suppose, key thing is we live quite close to where we work. So we have a 10-minute walk as a commute. So um, from that side of things, we're, that that's part of the uh, it's important, I suppose. We couldn't do it if we had an hour commute, which a lot of people would have. Um, it means that we can um, come into work um, having dropped the kids off at nursery and still hmm. be home. Every evening, um, picking them up from nursery and doing bath time, time. I time. Mean,
1: talking to friends about it, I actually think, you know, in some ways we've kind of got it quite easy in terms of work-life balance. Um, you know, yes, there's often extra stuff to be done in the evenings when the kids are in bed or occasionally, less so now, stuff to do at the weekends. But actually living so close to work, I'm able to spend um, an hour with the children in the morning um, over breakfast before I come into work and get home every night for bath time, which is, if I was working in the city, it just wouldn't be possible. Mm. You know, I've got friends that work in finance and, you know, they're kind of Saturday and Sunday dads because, you know, they, they just don't have the opportunity to be at home before or after work. Yeah. Actually, I think I'm quite lucky. But In terms of, you know, what it's like now that the kids have come along, it's almost, in some ways, you know, having three things that you're you care for and that you're passionate about because before the kids... You know, we've we put our heart and soul into developing and running this business. We're passionate about it. We care a lot about it. It means a lot to us. You know, we're a statistician and a programmer running a statistics and programming business. It's very close to our heart. Um,
2: I've had to become very good at delegating. Yeah. Because <laughs> I used to work long, five long days and sometimes weekends. That That isn't possible. Yeah. So... It forces
0: you to delegate. It forces
2: yeah. me to become very efficient and um, choosy about where I spend my time or where not to spend my time and um, be able to how to effectively or delegate effectively to uh, the people that are supporting me in order to be able to do what I need to do. So mm. that's, I think, the biggest change for me. I can't do everything, I can't do everything to the same level of detail that I want could have i try um, but then you, you you realize you just you can't do it all i can't stay late and and get something finished off i have to know i've got a hard hard stop
0: i actually think it's uh, it's a right pretty good thing to have these more hard boundaries because mm. it especially has this effect that you kind of concentrate on what's really important and you say no to, or delegate things that are not that important, or where you have people that actually are better in doing these things. Yeah. So, so uh, things yeah. that's that's where the hiring comes into place again. Mm. So, speaking a little bit, you know, at the end about about hiring. So, you have so offices here uh, mm-hmm. in Twickenham but you also have some other offices, and I think you have also quite a lot of people that work from home, isn't it?
1: Yeah.
2: Yep. So we opened our second office a few years ago up. In uh, just outside of Manchester. And then this earlier this year, we opened an office in last Swansea.
1: T- 2019.
2: Gosh, yeah. <laughs> Early last year, we opened one in Swansea. That shows that I've just been out. <laughs> Time has erased. Yeah. Um, and as you said, we have a number of people that work from home. So I think the challenge for us and for the sort of leadership team is how do we continue that culture that that same Verimed feeling but in different offices Um, and that is something that we've been continually looking at and trying to improve upon and work out how we can still have a same culture um, and be one connected company.
1: Interestingly it's normally financials or something else that appears first in the business plan. In our business plan, the first thing is, you know, maintaining and promoting the pyramid culture. Okay. So, yeah. You know, we recognise that that's, you know, that's what pyramid is about. So that's that's the thing that we're most keen to kind of protect and develop.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's a very, very good, good point. So as we close up, any kind of final thoughts from your end? Because we covered quite a lot. We covered mm-hmm. kind of. How you started in terms of growing a business, switching over from a freelance or permanent position in, into uh, growing your own business and putting lots of hours into mm-hmm. making sure you hire the right first people because that has such a big impact on, on the business. And, you know, having an evolved business model over time where you have, you know, no, much more than 100 people in your organization was just... Uh, Quite a, quite a big organization, still, where you want to kind of focus on the culture and on the three big topics that we talked about a good place to work for, high quality, and good service. And so, you're just continually recruiting now into different offices, now actually around the world, yeah. <laughs> also in the US. And um, any final thoughts on that?
1: Well, what I'd say is that if, you know, there's anyone out there who's thinking of starting their own business um that you know it's probably not for the faint-hearted you know you have to put in a lot of effort um to get a business to be successful um but there are rewards and the rewards are often you know more subtle than you might imagine
2: See, it's hugely re- rewarding and you know now yeah. that the skill set that i've developed goes so far beyond statistics i Um, do very little statistics on a day-to-day basis now and I've realized actually I'm okay with that I really enjoy all the other aspects of my ever-changing and expanding role you know there's still more that we probably haven't done yet that we're um, so we're still passionate about the company we're still passionate about um, seeing it grow and seeing what else we can can do with it
0: looking forward to the
1: rest of the journey
0: (laughs) and i think it's really nice that still with your background of a programmer and a statistician you can always relate to the people that do the actual work Mm. and and that do the heavy lifting every day Mm -hmm. and roll Um, our
2: sleeves up and sometimes you know get in and help when needed as well
0: yeah but i think what's really important is that you always understand when you know what what does it mean if Tables need to be created mm. a week early or what does it mean when there's issues in the database or what does it mean if you need to you know, change something in the, in the business because you have been in, impacted the same way as, as your employees are. And I think that's, that's a really big advantage of, of a leadership team to be able to kind of connect with everybody in the organization mm-hmm. in terms of what they're actually doing. So thanks so much. Thank you very much. You very and much. Emma for this really, really nice interview. And stay tuned for what's coming next from VeroMed. Thank you. thank you, Alexander. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain, who helps with the show in the background, and thank you for listening. Check out the effective Statistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector. And join the LinkedIn group and share your experiences and learn from further updates that I give there. Just follow me on LinkedIn and search for the effective statistician in the groups. So, reach your potential, lead great science, and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician.